If it does not rise substantially or if it doesn't stay elevated due to the changes we make in our life, we often deem these efforts failed. And how do I know this? A lot of happiness research, which we're not going to dig into all of it. But right out of college, um, I took a job in independent film and in the subgenre of independent documentary. So AKA the, the very lucrative branch of the entertainment <laughs> industry. And this was in the early 2010s and happiness talk was really all the rave. How can we get it? How can we scientifically prove it? Can we study it? What are these pieces? I found the research and the data fascinating. And I had the opportunity to not only work on the film and to research and do a lot of the work, but then also more importantly, travel and present this to all different types of audiences in all different locations around the globe and engaging with them in discussions after the film. And as you may guess, happiness does not come in a one-size-fits-all model and even basic happiness, of course, can be complicated by pieces like mental illness, addiction, and other very real issues. So even so, after all the dust settled, what I learned through my conversations with people is that happiness was the word that we threw out there that we thought that we were aspiring toward. We thought that we were looking for happiness, and I think a lot of audiences come with that word in mind. But I think we're looking for something that is not necessarily the word happiness, but that we're looking for something that looks more like contentment. Does that ring a bell? Yes, does that sound like maybe I'm hitting your own mark? Good. Um, because happiness is often not sustainable in its emotional form. So we're looking for something with a balance in life that's not totally emotionally driven. So when we zoom out of our life on our Google Maps here and take a look, maybe even at a decade, it becomes more evident. So here's the next one. Here we are in our decade road. And so much more happens in a decade that we are looking to achieve, right? Uh, whether it be buying a home, losing 20 pounds, learning Spanish, learn the guitar, get a dog, find a job, buy a car, buy another car, uh, move states, care for parents, all of these pieces. Think of the things that happen even in a 10-year period. We are achievement acquisition focused people. But the number one indicator of a happy life that we found through the research and through these conversations, regardless of ethnic background, socioeconomic status, gender, et cetera. You're getting it for free here this morning. The number one indicator of if you said, I am a happy person or I'm becoming a happier person because it is this, the number and strength of your close relationships. And that's it. Do you have a network of humans around you that you are investing in and that invest in you? If so, you're likely closer to this thing that we call happiness that I will also refer to as contentment. This has nothing to do with the maps that we saw because it's, it's usually not on our maps year over year. Usually we're not saying be a better friend is usually not one of the road signs that we list out. And if so good for you, you're starting to figure some pieces out. And when I dive down even further and we really peel back some of the layers, I found out that most of the behaviors that led to a fulfilling or lifelong stasis and contentment have nothing to do with attaining, but instead are all about giving. They're all about giving. And everything I've learned about giving in my life, I learned through improv. 
So prepare for some activities this morning. Just kidding, I know you're nervous. Palms are sweating. No, 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 I won't make you come up here, but I love improv theater, I love it. And now I teach it to our upper elementary and middle school students because the fundamental principles of getting through a non-scripted scene have everything to do with giving, everything to do with giving. You have to be all in on each other's ideas for a sketch to function and work, ever, period. If I walked into a scene and, and um, started it with something like, um, honey, grab the duct tape. Our spaceship is leaking, right? And she just looked at me and said, yeah, no thanks. It might get a quick laugh, but it doesn't further the scene. She's not giving me anything. In fact, she's taking from that scene and leaving me out to dry in front of an audience. So the only way it functions is that if everyone is willing to give, give, give instead of take. And that's the grading model I've even built for a lot of my classes. And we talk about what that means to give, give, give. Give, 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 instead of take. So I think if we flip the paradigm from achieve, 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 to give, 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 we'd be on our way to a year of healthy, happier stasis. So we're going to look at three biblical ideas of giving of our time, of our talents, and of our possessions. So that'll be our give, 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 time, talents, and possessions. So the first one, um, giving of our time. What would that look like? Um, we're gonna dive into the parable of the Good Samaritan, which many of you know. Let's do a refresher, Luke 10, verse 30. So we're gonna, I'm gonna take it from Luke 10, verse 30, and let's read together. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any of the extra expense you may have. And which one of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And we know the answer. We know the answer, but it has a lot to do with the idea of time time. We've looked at this own parable um, from many different directions, even here on Sunday mornings before. A man's beaten left for dead. Two men of status in society pass by. Two people, by definition of their life station and by very principle, the nature of their work should have stopped and had the resource to help. Decided not to. And along came a Samaritan, not only addressed the man's physical needs, but took him on his own donkey to a place of safety and then took care of his expenses. Give, give, give. I want you to think about how you are giving of your time as you go throughout the year. So if we're looking at shifting and breaking this cycle of setting ourselves up for potential failure year over year over year, and we're looking at models that shift it, and we go to give, 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 if we're looking at just time, think about your time. Not for any personal gain, but how much of your time is invested in the betterment of others 
around you? How much of your time do you set aside to address the needs of your community or your spouse or your family or your friends, coworkers, or even your own spiritual life? And when you see the need, when you see a need around you, do you work toward a solution in the moment? Are you brave enough to use your time in the moment and not necessarily when it's convenient for your scheduling time? How are you giving of your time? The second give is talent. Second give is talent. Um, and for that, I'm going to draw us um, to a Pauline letter from Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, talking about the body, talking about the body of Christ. So I'm going to start in verse 12 of chapter 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized with one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a part of the hand, I do not belong to the, bar to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged all the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand that I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And we'll stop there. This passage is often used to address discord within a congregation or disagreements that, that arise naturally when you are working with people in an imperfect body that is the church. And that's normal. That is normal. And I think it is very powerful when it is used for that, but I also think this passage points to the intrinsic value that you bring to a church community. You. For the body would not be complete without your talents. The foot certainly cannot be the eye or the mouth, though we definitely end up with our feet in our mouth, but you have talents. You have talents that certainly um, I lack, and we need to function as a church in this resonate community. We can't, we can't be complete without the full body. So I want you to think about ways in this year, if you're thinking the next give in terms of talent, in which you can use your talents here. Perhaps it's in greeting or in worship team, yes, but we've already discussed a lot of these pieces. Some of the ones that we don't see a lot of times, consider your skills of organization or of hosting a small group or of mentorship and leadership and of having coffee meetings and sharing about pieces of your life of prayer and encouragement. There's no, there is no shortage of a need for your talents here. And no surprise when you feel like your talents are needed and are being used and that they're being wisely invested, you're generally more happy or content.
So be bold and speak out, please. Let us know, let us know. If you see ways that your talents could be utilized here, or you're curious of ways in which your talents could be put to use, we will find a way. We will find a way if you'll be so bold. And so, speak out. And then the third give I want to look at when we're orienting for our year is possessions. And I say possessions instead of money because we often talk about finances as it relates to a church setting. Um, or more like we stress about them in our own lives. But God can do so much with so little and it. It doesn't strictly have to be cash. Um, as seen in the feeding of the 5,000. And these are just good reminders of great narrative stories that we're having this morning. So this is John chapter 6. I'm going to take this one out of the account of John. Chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciple, Andrew, Simon's, uh, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciple, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I love the image of this kid, of this young kid who comes forward with his leftovers likely. These are likely leftovers um, from a family meal. And he would have had these small loaves and a couple fish. And they said, here, look what we found. Boy looks at massive crowd. Boy looks at Jesus. Boy looks at thousands. Boy looks at Jesus. Boy looks at basket. Boy says, here, sure. Uh, this is what I have. This is what I have to give. And God took what he had and made it more than enough to meet the needs of many. And this is the nature of spiritual giving. Love given is love multiplied. Time given is time multiplied. Resources given are multiplied. You right now have more than enough to meet the needs of many. You right now have more than enough to meet the needs of many. So think about how you can give in terms of your possessions because the needs are great. So give, give, give. Time, talents, possessions. All well and good and all well-intentioned, sure. But stepping out and practicing these pieces of giving in this way requires trust. It requires trust. Trust that God has a plan to use these pieces and you. The most trusting soul I've seen in scripture, of course, aside from Jesus, who is both man and God, of course, who said, not my will, but yours be done, and then endured the cross, thank God, 
was willing to do that. The man, of course, that we see so trusting in Scripture was Job. Job trusted when there was no longer earthly reason to trust, and many of you know the story of Job. Tested by Satan, a very wealthy, popular, very successful landowner, tons of livestock, beautiful family, beautiful home, had it all. You know the story. It's very Hollywood. And all of it was taken from him in an instant. Right? One person runs up to him in one conversation says, Sir, all of your livestock and your servants have been killed. Your camels are gone. Your sheep are gone. All of the pieces that have surmounted to your wealth are gone. And then in comes another person and says, Sir, your home has fallen to the ground. There's a great wind taking out all of your sons and your daughters inside. And so in a moment, everything was gone. And the situation was so bleak that Job's wife even asked him to curse God and die. Woof. And some of you may have had a moment like that in the last year or in the last decade. And so I don't want you to think that this is just an easy picture of, yeah, 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 give, give, give. <laughs> Simple. Do this and you'll be great. Um, I know that no lesson, no lesson would be complete without the reality, recognizing the reality of what our paths often look like in life. And many times there is the unexpected. And sometimes the unthinkable happens. And we always want to have an understanding of why. And I had my own moment 17 years ago. As I mentioned, today, today is a notable day for me. It's very special. And on a bright sunny morning, much like this one 17 years ago, um, I lost my younger brother in a snow skiing accident. You know, in a few moments, you realize the fragility of everything and what you can count on when you wake up in the morning can be taken away and often what you least expect. And I could deliver a whole sermon on grief and its trials and obstacles and surprises in a community that came around to rally support and to lend aid and encouragement, and the beauty that one life can have as it echoes throughout generations of people and the impact it can have well beyond what the human eye can even see or comprehend or understand. Um, but that's not today's lesson. I'm only sharing this piece to say, I know. I know. And I understand how difficult life can be, even when we lay out the best laid plans, right? A diagnosis, a failed business, failed relationships. Uh, we're, we're part of a broken world. And we just cannot promise otherwise. But I can say, at least in my experience, my initial instinct was not to curse God and die. <laughs> uh, in fact, I had the realization that I needed a power so far above and beyond any of my own doing or comprehension. In many ways, I was drawn much closer in my walk with God. And I say that only to say, if that is a part of your experience here in this next year, something unforeseen and very challenging, 
you too may be surprised by your own strength as long as you know where you are looking, as I talked about last week. Where are your eyes? Eventually, Job has an epic conversation with God, and God speaks to Job from a storm. And I want to read this part of it because, like I did, I had lots of questions for God. So did Job. And there are conversations after conversations that happen here that are beautiful, and I encourage you to read at some point because we've all spoken many of these words of Job before in our own questioning and looking at our life and looking at our path. And God speaks to Job, and he, we're just going to read the beginning piece of this in chapter 38, verse 4. You know, and Job is saying, why, 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 and God, where are you, and why have these things happened? And I need an explanation. God says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. He didn't give, classic God, he didn't give an exact detailed answer, but his answer is so powerful. Even if we took that own, our own map that we had drawn, like that beginning when we zoom out as far as we can, our perspective will forever be limited. This finite. And God is saying, my view is eternal. Is eternal. And so you will have to trust. Because I know there is a plan. And that's why the scriptures are still so countercultural today. Why they're so fascinating even today. They're flipping the world upside down. Is it contentment that you seek? Okay. Instead of achieve, 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 give, 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 and trust. Give, 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 and trust. I know many of us in this room are likely holding back on that give, give, give. And I think... I, I'm going to step out of limb and speculate that some of that is because we completely undervalue or even lose sight of the power and the light of your own being. Through the strength that has been placed inside of us, you are so capable. You were created with a reason. You were created with a purpose. And we desperately need in this church and in this community and in this city and in this world, we desperately need what you can give. We need it. We have that reminder this weekend with Dr. King. You know, he brought about incredible change by giving, by giving, and by trusting. Incredible change. Mountains removed. And so for inspiration on the beauty of your own being, um, I would like to look at the Persian poet Hafez. I don't know if you've, any of you have had a chance to read through his works. 
I think I feel a unique commitment um, being half Persian as I am. Uh, I think it's important for us though, um, Christianity I think a lot of times um, shies away from truths that are found in other writings or literature, um, but, but I think you will see this piece. He, he was coming from an incredibly spiritual place and there is such truth in this writing. And he wrote a very short poem about the power of your being that I want to look at. One day the sun admitted, I'm just a shadow. I wish I could show you the infinite incandescence that has cast my brilliant image. I wish I could show you when you are lonely or in darkness, the astonishing light of your own being. I wish I could show you when you are lonely or in darkness, the astonishing light of your own being. And this is what Bobby has been painting for us this morning. A reminder that even the sun pales in comparison to what you have to offer the world. The sun pales in, in comparison to the brilliance of the spirit that God has placed inside of you. Do you know it? Do you see it? Do you see it in one another? You are so capable and you have so much to give. We have eternity set in our hearts and you have the light of the world inside of you. So just think what we could do if we could just let go and trust and give, give, give. Your 2020 would likely look very different. Your pursuit of happiness could look very different. Your whole decade could look very different. Again, I want you to meditate on those pieces as you go home today and through this week. Think of this. Anytime the sun hits your eyes and blinds you, remember what it's really pointing toward. And I hope that you will find ways that you can greater engage in your personal life, in your community, in your work life, in this city, and yes, in this church. As we end, we will come forward to take communion and use this as the beginnings of your reflective time. And just as we talked about the body, this is where all of the pieces in your disjointed seemingly talents all come together in a beautiful form and Christ came and he gave his life so that any of this would even be filled with a measure of hope but we have that hope and we have the ability to trust even if we can't see where that road is going we know that we have something under our feet and solid ground because of the plan that God put into place at the beginning of what we will call eternity. When he laid the foundations, he knew we would need a way home.
And so Christ gave his body and his blood. And we remember that sacrifice in this time. And we remember the ways that we come back to the table as a community, as a group, and reunite. And so all are welcome at the table. Um, as we sing, the front row can come through and we'll cycle through the house. Um, but why don't we go ahead and stand? We're going to take just a second to orient ourselves, to take a deep breath. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for all the ways that you were at work in this place. Thank you for this young church, for this growing church, for this beautiful body that you've put at work here. I pray, Father, that we would walk away from this Sunday brave enough to take an inward look, excited enough to chase after the vision that you have for our year, not the one that we would draw. And it may not even be a linear road. We may feel sometimes like we're going in circles and have no clue why. Or sometimes we'll hit a pothole so big it takes the whole car out. And Father, when we are on our knees asking why, we hear your voice calling. You have us. You have a plan. Just as you did through Christ. So as we take of this body and the blood, we do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that you made and of a trust so far beyond our own understanding. Christ, name we pray.